a sermon series in Ecclesiastes. I am absolutely loving this series. It is so impacting my life. I'm hoping that it's impacting your life as well. And one of the books that I read years ago, this is for one of my graduate classes that I took, it was a book by a guy named Viktor Frankl. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but he has a book that's called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. And what he did as a psychologist and a psychotherapist, he worked with other survivors that went through those Nazi horrors. And so Viktor Frankl developed an approach to be able to help people who had been who had had a meaning and purpose stripped from their lives to be able to rediscover meaning. He coined a phrase called logotherapy, or logos therapy, I think it was. And what he did was really learn, he learned that what really strips a person of life, I want, I want you to hear this, it wasn't suffering. What strips a person of life is not really suffering. It's being lost in that suffering and not having the ability to find your meaning and purpose. That's really what he discovered. I think it's a brilliant book. I don't think Viktor Frankl was a Christian, but man, I really think he was on the right track. He just didn't get it to Christ, but he was getting there. And with that being said, I wanted to say we're designed to live life with meaning and purpose. Now, some of you have discovered that. But honestly, and I talk to a lot of people, a lot of people, and I'm going to say the majority of people, never discover why did God put them on this planet? What's his unique purpose for each person? I'm going to just ask you, what is God's unique purpose for your life? Why did he give you life? Why does he continue to give you life? I wonder if you know that. When you discover that, what you're going to find is satisfaction to a level that you have never been able to experience before. Confidence like never before. That's what comes when you understand the meaning and the purpose that God has for your life. And the Bible offers us the ability to discover that. How can we live with meaning and purpose in this crazy world, what Solomon calls under the sun? This life on earth he calls under the sun. How do you discover meaning and purpose in this twisty journey that we live? The Bible's going to answer that. We're going to see it. In this message, the answer is wisdom. It is wisdom from God. Last week, Pastor Matthew very well walked us through Ecclesiastes 7 1 through 12. Uh, We saw our need to gain the perspective of wisdom. Do you remember that sermon? The perspective of wisdom as well as the presence of wisdom. How does that impact us? But Solomon's going to continue. He didn't end at verse 12 the conversation about wisdom. In fact, he's going to be talking about this for the next several chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. So what we're going to look at today is the practice of of wisdom. We've seen the perspective. We've seen the presence. We're going to look at the practice of wisdom. So let's start on a level playing field. Let's start together. 
You ever watch a little league, not a little league, but you ever watch little children play football when half of them don't know the play that they're actually being, that they're going to run? Well, that's kind of what it's like. If we don't define wisdom right at the very beginning, then you're going to be going this way with your definition of it, and I'm going to be going this way, and you're going to come out of this going, I'm not really sure that impacted me. So let's get the play called, and then we're going to run it. The play calling of wisdom is this. I'm going to define it for you. It's simply this. This is, to me, the most simple way of defining wisdom. It is the power of God to live the right way. It is the power of God to live the right way. Now, you might be double-minded. What does that mean? Well, you come to church on Saturday evening, and then you're doing drugs throughout the week. That would be double-minded. You call yourself a Christian... You're looking at porn. That's double-minded. You worship God with your mouth when you sing, and then you gossip and you slander your coworker. That's double-minded. And James says the cure for double-mindedness is wisdom. So if you're struggling with double-mindedness, why am I not living what I know to be true? That's double-mindedness. The, the Bible has a cure for that. It's the power of God to live right. We call it wisdom. So wisdom has the power to take double-minded people and move them to single-minded living. Where you live out what you claim to believe. You call yourself a Christian, you got the name of Jesus on you, that's what it means, Christian, little Christ. So you live that out, you demonstrate it to people around you. This is the power of wisdom, it's the power of God to live the right way. So wisdom sweetens life. It fills you with hope for your future as you walk with God. This is the power of wisdom. Let me demonstrate this biblically. Here's what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 24. My son, eat honey. I love raw honey. We should just put a period right there. Solomon, good enough. But he doesn't. He goes on, a little comma. For it is good, I'm with you, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Now he's using that as a metaphor, he goes on, know that wisdom is such, it's the same way to your soul, it's like honey to your mouth. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. So if you lack Hope, which is faith for your future, the answer is you need wisdom, and God will give it to you. It is the power to live the right way. Now, I hope I defined that easily enough and simply enough so that we're all in the same huddle, we're about to run the same play, and we're going to run that play in three simple steps. Here's the first one. What we're going to do is we're going to answer how wisdom helps us live life in the midst of three particular difficulties. Now, before I give you the first one, let me just give you a little bit more context. Now, ready? Can you look at me for just a moment? I want to make sure you're really with me on this. I have, well, I'll even use a metaphor. I'm a bicycle rider. Some of you are as well. I've really learned that I, I, I rarely map out my ride before I ride. I usually just start riding, and I take the turns that I want to take, and I go the distance that I want to go. But what I discovered the hard way is you never determine or you never make a decision on how long you're going to ride, how many miles you're going to ride when you're going downhill. Because I always feel like I could ride 100 miles 
when I'm going downhill. And then the very first hill, I'm going, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? Well, it's the same way as we approach this. We're going to see that when you're in church and you're around your Christian friends, it's really pretty simple to live the Christian life. I mean, come on, how many of you, don't, don't answer, don't raise your hand, just rhetorically. How many of you, you know you have a problem with profanity and vulgar jokes and stuff coming out of your mouth that you don't like. But I bet every one of you, when you're here on Saturdays or Sundays, you're not telling lewd jokes. You're not dropping the F-bomb because you're around Christians. You don't even, you're not even tempted to do that. But wait till Monday you get to work or you get to school and all of a sudden, man, all this temptation. So wisdom has particular relevancy when you're in the midst of difficulty because it squeezes you, difficulty does, like a tube of toothpaste. Get your mind on that metaphor for a moment, that analogy. Take your hand around a, a tube of toothpaste, put a little pressure, and what's in the tube is going to come flying out. Well, that's what difficulty does in your life. It squeezes your heart. And what was in your heart all the while starts pouring out through your mouth, out through your attitude, out through your actions. It's nothing surprising to God. He saw it there the whole time. He's probably even led you and myself into the difficulty so that we can see what's in there and plead for his grace and mercy. So wisdom has practical and utter critical relevance when you encounter difficulty because that's when your heart's really going to come out to the surface. All right, we're running the play. You ready? Here's the first one. Wisdom for living in a world we cannot understand. Now I want you to think for a moment. When's the last time you absolutely fell before the Lord and said, Why? Why is this happening? I don't understand, God. Well, look at verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he made crooked? Who can make straight what he has made crooked? You know, there's a song called Can't Go to Hell by Sin Shakes Sin. That's the group name. And they've got some interesting lyrics in this song. And here's some of their lyrics. Walk right in, all you sinners and saints. Tonight's the night we're going to take off these chains. Some wounds will never mend. It came with a warning. Now we're all out of time. The romance with ignorance has left us behind. It's no mystery. What can I say? We're blind by design. And history keeps getting paid to change its mind. Some wounds will never mend. Divided by deception. But together we must rise. Deafened by the naive while we silence the wise. You know, I found the most interesting part of the entire song is that one line, we're blind by design. I want you to think on that for a moment. Because it echoes in a very godless way what Solomon just had written in verse 13. Consider the work of God who can make straight what God has made crooked. Now, you got to understand something. Crooked, do not think bent, twisted, evil, devious, dishonest. That's how we use the word crooked oftentimes. He's not describing what God does in these ways, the way we normally define crooked. The word here simply means life does not go in the straight path that we like. There are curves and we don't even see them coming. 
That's what it means when God says, Solomon says, straight what he has made crooked. There's going to be a twist in your life's path. You're not going to see it coming. And those twists are rarely pleasant. They are almost always painful, and they make you scratch your head. Even worse than that, they make you fall on your face and cry and plead to the Lord God. Why is this happening? Why did the one that I love leave me? Why did I lose my job? Why did I get cancer? I thought we were going to have a child. Why didn't the child come full term? All of these ways that are crooked bring pain. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? This is what Solomon's telling us, is that wisdom gives you the power to be able to live the right way even when you don't know why your life path took a turn. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one, the prosperous day, as well as the other, the adversarial day, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. We're blind by design. God doesn't want you to be able to see all the way down the path. Why? Because you don't need to trust. If you can figure out where the path is going to go, Well, you just simply walk it. What would you need God for? There is a lamp that the word of God gives for our feet. It doesn't shine up down the path. So if you have blessings in your life right now, Solomon says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But guess what? I hope you can hear this. If you have difficulty in your life right now, then say with Job, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Christian brother and sister, we need to accept this is the power of wisdom to help us submit our will, to trust in our Heavenly Father, even when life is not going in the direction that we thought it was supposed to go, even when we do not understand it, God still has a plan. He is the one that sees the end of the path. He said in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are, my, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we may be blind by design according to sin, shake, sin, and I do agree with them, we are, but they didn't finish the story. God is not. His eyes are wide open. And he has your season, Christian brother. You got it. This is wisdom. You may not believe it right now. You might be in a moment of adver- adversity in your life. You might be in the midst of a trial. And these words that I'm speaking to you are kind of hitting off of a Teflon shield in your, in your heart. But if you could just maybe even borrow my faith for a moment long enough to get it to stick... God's eyes are wide open. You might be blind. You may not see why your path is going the way it's going. You do not understand it. God does. And he has your season. And he has your time in its appropriate place. But for some, it's right there that proves the problem. Point number two. Wisdom for living in a world you cannot control. This one hurts. Every person who has ever been to Alcoholics Anonymous learns Reinhold Niebuhr's serenity prayer. It goes like this in the beginning. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
courage to change the things I can. And here's the big one. The wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference. Wisdom to live under the sun, living a life that you cannot always control. In fact, you know as well as I do, if you've got any years under your life, you can rarely control it. So let's agree to something. Let's all agree to this if we can. Let's at least start together running the play this way. Let's agree with this. Life under the sun, it's not always fair. You're going to hear Solomon saying this. So can we agree at least with that? Life under the sun, it's not always fair. I'll give you some examples. Children suffer abuse. They didn't deserve that. Good people suffer at the hand of of wicked people. Evil people do not always get their due in this life. Life is not always fair. You know what? This is actually a, a troublesome tripping point for a lot of Christians. There's too much prosperity theology in a lot of Christians that think, well, if I'm having my devotions, I'm having my quiet time, I go to church, I try to be a good person, I pray, I give money at the church, I give money to people in need, my life ought to go well. And if it's not going to go well, it's just going to be a brief little episode of difficulty, but I'm going to get through it quickly. Well, that's not the evidence that I've seen, not in my life and not in other people's lives as well. Sometimes hurt goes deep and it goes long. And this is really, really difficult for a lot of us because we have this internal desire for instant justice. You ready? If someone steals from you, You want them caught and punished and your stuff returned before they can get it to a a flea market or a pawn shop. If someone cuts you off on the road, have you ever fantasized that you've got the power to telekinetically flatten their tires? And don't you undergird it with a rationalization, a justification? Somebody has to teach them a lesson or they're going to hurt somebody one day. If someone is prettier than you ladies, have you ever hope that they woke up the next day with a cold sore on their lips? So listen to Solomon struggling with life's unfairness. Verse 15, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Now don't do what a lot of Christians do. Man, I really don't like this. I, I probably am guilty of this at times. And when I am, I hope somebody calls, it, calls me on it. Don't, uh, let me put it this way. Don't squirt mental soap into your mind and scrub it clean right now. Don't sanitize what Solomon just said in raw honesty. Because this is not just a little hiccup for Solomon's faith. He's really struggling with this. This is a major, major issue. He had to truly grapple with our modern question, why do bad things happen to good people? There's a British-Norwegian boy band called A1. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're actually pretty decent. They have a song called Good Things, Bad People. Let me read the lyrics, some of them. I know a girl with a broken smile. He's been hurting her for quite a while, but she loves him. She still loves him. I've got a friend with a heart of gold. He loved his wife even when he was told she's unfaithful. He's still faithful. 
Guess in life you don't always reap what you sow. It doesn't make much sense, but I'd like to know, why do good things happen to bad people? Bad people don't deserve it. Why do bad things happen to good people? Good people don't deserve it. I've seen a man working all his life lose his job to a new device. Still he's grateful. Yeah, he's grateful. I know somebody who's got all they need who built an empire stepping on the weak. Still ungrateful. So ungrateful. I guess in life you don't always reap what you sow. It doesn't make much sense, but I'd like to know. Who decides this? It seems so unfair. Is there somebody out there who decides this? That's a brilliant question. Listen, why I'm reading all the, why I'm bringing all of these secular songs into these, these sermons is so that you can see the heart cry of the world. They want an answer. They want meaning and they want purpose. You can see it in all of these songs. You can see it in all of these movies. You can read it in all of these books if your eyes are just open looking for them. My aim in part in this series is open your eyes. A1 asks the question, who decides this? And wisdom is going to raise her hand and say, God does. God decides it. But if you, if you will, will not experience chapter 5, where you worship God, where you guard your steps into the house of God, and you listen to him speak to you, and you humble your heart, you're going to emerge out of that question going it's not fair i don't like life that i cannot control i'm not going to worship god and your faith is going to suffer now let me give you a bit of an analogy to make it a little easier to find out and discover what the devil's going to do to your faith i burn wood burn a lot of wood we have our wood still running today so i burn a lot of wood and i cut a lot of wood and i split a lot of wood and here's a little key if you're splitting wood. You always try to find where the crack, the natural crack in the wood is. And that's where you either put the wedge or the splitting maul when you swing. And if you hit that crack, most of the time, you're going to pop that, those two halves right open. Do you know that's what the devil does? Well, let me further explain that. Some of you have had some really hard things happen in your lives. And sometimes that can put a little bit of a crack in your faith. God, why did that happen? I don't understand that. That was so painful. I don't ever want to go through that again. So I'm going to learn to kind of co-rule with you. Yeah, I know you're sovereign, but sometimes it seems like you drop the ball. So I'm going to come up on the throne. And when you start steering my life in a way that starts going into pain again, I'm going to kind of tell you, nudge it this way a little bit. And here's what the devil's going to do to that little crack in your faith. He's going to put a wedge in there, and he's going to split you wide open. And he's going to begin to get you to doubt your God. He's going to get you to begin to question the love of God for you or the ability of God to really lead your wife or the appropriateness of God to govern your life. He's going to put a little bit of a difficult life situation and he's going to put it right in that crack and he's going to try to pop your faith wide open. You've got to shore up that crack. Do you understand that the power of wisdom is to shore that crack up? So that when your life goes and it twists, it's going crooked in a way that you cannot control, you do not need to panic. There does not need to come anxiety. Anxiety is the crack. 
And you do not need to flee to an idol. You do not need to govern your own life and manage your own life and control your own life because God is doing a pretty good job doing it. Wisdom is the persuasion to your soul that God knows what he's doing. This is the power of wisdom. But if you don't have that, even as a Christian, here's what you're going to have happen. Gwen Stefani sang it in her song, Sweet Escape, in one line. If I could escape and recreate a place that's my own world. Do you know how many Christians, and I'm guilty as well, recreate their life? Can I just speak very candidly for a moment, guys, to you especially. Do you understand that pornography entirely is the recreation of a world that you are in control of? Where everything goes the way you want it. And you will find, if you're struggling with that, that whenever anything doesn't go well that day, particularly sharp difficulty, all of a sudden it puts a little bit of a trigger and it moves you right to that idol. That's virtually true for any idol. Wisdom persuades your soul. God is trustworthy. Even when I don't understand life, even when I cannot control life, God is good because people have been trying to recreate their worlds since the Tower of Babel. And like it or not, life is not in your control. You're never going to be able to get the world to spin the way you want. Innocent people are going to suffer. Evil people are going to prosper. And of course, we know that the most innocent person ever, Jesus, suffered the worst death. But why do humble Christians in Pakistan get killed for their faith? Why does a couple get married and then one of them die from an accident within days before they could really enjoy life together? How do you reconcile that beautiful four-year-old child who is diagnosed with leukemia? Life under the sun is just not always fair. And you can't control it. And if wisdom doesn't reconcile your faith to that and trust that the Lord still has a plan that emerges through every crooked path and he will get you where he wants to get you, if your faith is not rooted in that, it will begin to widen. There will be, become a crack in that. See, Solomon's vain life, all that means is brief life. We use vain a lot different, but the word means brief. In Solomon's brief, vain life, he has been seeing righteous people suffer, evil people prospering. You've seen it too. So he gives some advice that leaves you scratching your head. Verse 16, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? That's a very interesting statement. How do you understand this? Well, you've got to keep it connected to verse 15. I mean, it's not like Solomon suddenly has a random thought pop up. Oh, yes, while I'm on the subject of righteous and wicked people, let me say this. That's not random. He's still unpacking verse 15. He's explaining verse 15 that sometimes righteous people suffer and wicked people get away with their evil. So he warns us, don't be so overly righteous that all that means is self-righteous. Don't be filled with self-righteousness. By the way, here's why. Because when you're filled with self-righteousness, you actually convince yourself that you can control God. 
God owes me. I deserve this. If you've ever said a prayer to God, God, that person didn't deserve what's happening to them. You've got self-righteous doctrine flowing through your mind. You've got to get it out of there. So don't be self-righteous. Don't be overly righteous. Religious uh, thinking that God rather owes you for any of your good efforts and good morality. That's by the way, that's called a religious moralist. And they will find themselves before Christ, look at verse 16, on the day of judgment, and they dis- they're going to discover that they just destroyed themselves. They never had the righteousness of Christ on them. They thought that they were doing a pretty good job on their own, and so they could control God by just being good. But then Solomon goes to the other hand. While, we're, while we all sin, look at verse 20, don't think you're getting away with it. You, you might discover, verse 17, that you just died before your time. Listen, if you want to sell drugs, don't be surprised that violence overtakes you and your life is cut short. That's what it means, die before your time. If you're going to live the life of a fool, it's probably going to cut your life short. What keeps us from becoming overly righteous or overly wicked is wisdom. It's the power of God to live the right way. Look at verse 19. You're going to start to see this. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. If you want strength, if you want to be able to overcome temptation, the power that you need is wisdom. You don't need some miraculous thing. Listen, it's great to be able to take precautions, get an accountability partner. But really, all that's going to do is give you outward forms of help. If you want the internal form of strength, then it's wisdom. You need to plead for the Lord to give it to you. You're going to find, you will find that the approval and the opinions of other people, they lose their control over your life. Verse 21, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Greater wisdom is going to drive you to humility. Verse 22, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Listen, you're not going to be a people pleaser if you've got wisdom flooding your heart. They're simply not going to have the power over you. And neither will you come up and be arrogant and prideful going, I don't care about people. They're not going to have power over me. Are you kidding? Wisdom will drive you into humility so that you lie low to the ground and your life seeks to exalt the people around you. That's what humility does. See, the practical benefit of God's wisdom is for you to be able to enjoy life even when you cannot control it or understand it. And this is the aim of the wisdom. But there's one more part of this before we can run the play. Running the play is when you leave here. And you do what James says, if you lack wisdom, cry out. The Lord will not refuse that prayer. He will give you wisdom, but do not doubt or you will be double-minded. The third one is this, wisdom for living in a world of temptation and sin. Verse 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? So this is Solomon speak. 
This is Solomon saying, you know what, I know the key is wisdom. But I think what Solomon might have done is the only way, Pastor Matthew alluded to it earlier, the only way you're going to get wisdom is from the hand of God. Now, I know Americans, we're pragmatic, right? We're, we're used to telling our children and other people, you're going to have to learn things the hard way, right? Hard knocks in life. You're going to gain wisdom from that. That's not really biblical wisdom. That's just smarts, common sense. That's just you learn from your experience. Biblical wisdom is the power to live the right way. There's only one source for that, and that's the hand of God. He must give it or you cannot have it. And Solomon speak is this. I tried every other way to get it. I said, I will be wise. It was his goal in life. But it was far from me. I can't grab it. Wisdom is not something you can grab. It's not something you can attain. It's only something you can receive. And he learned it was far off, very deep. He can't dive deep enough to get it. Who can find it out? And the answer is no one unless God gives it to you and if anyone lacks wisdom james 1 5 here's the verse let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him wisdom is the power to live the right one and the one who gives that power is god so solomon begins to search out and seek wisdom it says Rather than make himself wise, he began to see that the natural bent in every person, verse 25, is the wickedness of folly. Now this is a very interesting little story. In 1908, the Times newspaper asked a few authors to contribute on the topic. Here is the question, here is the topic. What's wrong with the world? How would you answer that, by the way? If you're thinking blue and red... Blue or red, politically, that's not really deep enough. One of the leading Christian thinkers and writers of that time, he submitted his answer. And it was the briefest of all of the submissions. It was only nine words. Here it was. Dear sirs, I am. What's wrong with the world? I, listen, we've got to echo this. The answer is me. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Friend, the problem is not so much our society, it's not our education system, it's not our capitalism, it is us. And Solomon will explain this in a way that makes every woman in here recoil. You're going to feel it. Verse 26, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and, and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her it's going to get worse by the way what's it going on here is solomon some sort of misogynist now some of y'all think that's how you work out knots in your back that's not really what that word means misogynist actually will put knots in the souls of women a misogynist is someone that thinks that men are superior than women they act it out in life that's not what solomon is You've got to be familiar with Proverbs 7 through 9, though, to really get what Solomon's saying, because Proverbs 9, 13 goes like this. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. I believe what Solomon's doing is describing foolishness, which is a contrast to wisdom. And it's going to help us understand what he means in verse 7, 28. 
one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. He's not found a good, upright woman anywhere. And only one man, he says. You think maybe that he's talking about himself? I think that's the wrong answer. One man among a thousand? Well, that's an expression, by the way. Or at least this was an ancient saying that was echoed in a more modern song by the Tubes. You probably remember this song called She's a Beauty. It goes like this. She's a beauty. She's one in a million girls. She's a beauty. Why would I lie? It was just a, a, it was a saying. One in a thousand in his day. It's like one in a million here. There's really not th- hundreds of beautiful women if you're one in a million. There's just one of you on the planet. See, what what Solomon is saying is what he's discovered in his wisdom is that everybody has sinned. There is no one upright. Everybody has become fools. God's created them upright, but they've fallen. But there is one man. Who do you think that one man inference is for? Could it possibly be a prophetic utterance to Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what I would suggest. The Solomon just gave us a divinely inspired glimpse of Jesus, the only one who will ever live that is upright, who is sinless, who will embody the wisdom that will lead to a life that you live the right way all the time. It's Jesus, the sinless one, who's never schemed ever evil, but lived out the will of God perfectly. Now, friends, life is vain, it's brief. Death is going to loom for all of us. How are we going to live then? That's the entire question that Solomon answers in chapter 7. And he's saying you cannot understand the twists and turns in life, why things happen the way that we do, they do, and neither can you control it. No matter what your efforts are, things are going to happen, and you're never going to see them coming. You're going to wish they never came, but that's going to happen. That's a life fact. And on top of all of this, everywhere under the sun we look to and look at, there's temptation. There is evil. There's the the pull to live foolishly. So what can we do? Well, here's what we do. We go to our God. Are you hearing this? We guard our steps. We listen well through his word. We humble ourselves because he is in heaven and we are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. We ask simply for wisdom. We know now that wisdom is the power of God to live the right way. And it's a prayer request that God will never refuse. And all of a sudden, we find what we're going to see at the end of this book of Ecclesiastes. But we get a preview of it in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The worship of the Lord. The astonishment at our God. To to be held in awe of who he is. To trust him. To love him. That's what it means, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's that deep abiding awe and respect for God in his scriptures. And that wisdom that begins to flood your soul. It begins to help you live the right way. When you don't understand why your path just took a turn. You cannot control it. And you're surrounded by temptation to just stop believing God and turn to your own throne wisdom is the power against all of that 
Solomon's pretty awesome, isn't he? He knows what he's talking about. When you leave here, the very first thing you must begin to do is plead for wisdom. The power of God to live the right way. And let him flood your soul with a love for his word, a fear for him, and the beginning of wisdom that will give you a satisfaction and the meaning and the purpose in life that you've never discovered before. It will change your life. Amen? Let's pray.